Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Grayscale Gorilla podcast. It is episode 60, and we are fresh off of NAB 2017. Why did I just, why did I pause on the year? That was weird. So we are we are back in town. All of us are in our actual offices. We're not in any sort of remote locations. And we've been out there for a week, uh, probably maybe one day over, a couple days over a week. And we saw a lot of people. We saw a lot of interesting things. We talked to a lot of people. So we have a ton of stuff to share with you in this podcast. And we're very excited to talk to you all about NAB. Welcome back, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Uh, tired. Still <laughs> after, tired, yeah. After a week in Vegas, two things happen after a week in Vegas. Um, I never want to be in Vegas again after a week in Vegas. <laughs> and I instantly get sick. I feel like... I'm always fighting off and I don't get sick very often, but I feel like Vegas is one of those places where you go and your body just needs to, to like get rid of some stuff. You know what I mean? So I get back home instantly and get sick. So sorry about a little, uh, kind of vocal situation here, but, uh, that's, uh, that's what happened to me. I'm getting, I'm getting back into it though. It's Monday. I'm feeling better. I feel like the, the stress on top of an air, air, plane ride is like you're definitely going to get sick like there's just so many germs kicking around and inside of a plane and then <laughs> if you're if your immune system is lowered from stress you're just gonna you're gonna get sick and and then the odd added thing like vegas one thing that like i always try to remember and this time i think i was pretty good but I, it's so dry there like everything just dries up like your nasal passages dry up everything just like crinkles and dries up and then of course there's the smoke everywhere everybody's smoking and those combinations of things man like normally that would make me sick but this time i was really vigilant about my purell and <laughs> and making sure that i was like you know the guy who is making sure that he doesn't touch anything with his bare hands and so i avoided it thank god but we were shaking some hands too it was the first year um that we had a booth at NAB. And uh, that was an experience. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in this podcast, but having a booth at NAB and being at the booth almost all day for, for most of us, um, man, that adds another level of, uh, of <laughs> that's a, adds another level of Vegas to the whole situation. The, what, what it takes away from is my, my routine, like middle of the day nap I take just to recover from like hanging out with everybody <laughs> and staying out. And it's like, oh, you go and you do all your booth stuff you got to do. And it's like, okay, time for a nap so that you can do it all again. And this time it's like, nope, got to be staying at the booth the whole time. And, and it's like, <laughs> oh, geez. Guys, it's a we're marathon. So, we're so old that we, we start talking about Vegas and all this fun stuff that we're doing. And then we all start chiming in with like Purell <laughs> and naps and getting sick. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Listen, everybody's probably like. Oh my God! Shut up! Yeah, they're like, come on. We need a. We get some younger guys here that yeah, uh, no can talk about some some of the fun parts of Vegas. We definitely had some fun. Um, I figured what we could talk about today is some of the some of the stuff that we brought back from Vegas. As far as you know, some of the thoughts we have about the industry. Um, man, we met so many people uh, there. It's always a it's always a great place to catch up with. You know, other people that you know, do what we, we do and are interested in what we're interested in. So, um, I, I thought figured... you meant by, uh, bring back all the swag is what you're talking about. <laughs> well, Hey, the only way to get the swag folks was to be there in Vegas. And if you're listening and you were actually there and, uh, came by the booth, I just wanted to give you a personal shout out. Um, thank you guys. That was really, really cool to have our customers there, our fans there at the booth. And, um, so if you're listening, thank you guys. That was super fun. Yeah, that was that was really cool to like see and meet people that our tools have helped or maybe they listen to the podcast or they've just been like a Nick fan forever and just having them come up and say thanks and just like hang out and and just you know, just shoot the shit and it was great and I wish I wish we could um I wish we could do that more often throughout the year is like, you know, meet people that are that are using our stuff. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, big shout out to, I was actually kind of surprised, like, you know, I've done NABs before and, you know, Nick's obviously a big magnet where everybody is attracted over there and you talk to him, but like lots of people have tutorials and they love our tools. But since we just kind of got this podcast up and running regularly again, you know, I don't even know how long ago, but 
I was kind of shocked at the number of people coming up and they wanted to like follow up on conversations we were having on the podcast. And so if, you know, if you're one of the podcast listeners who made it over to a NAB that that was super awesome to get to shake some hands for, you know, for that becoming like a new primary thing that this new face of grayscale gorilla, it's kind of neat that it's like, Hey, people are really listening. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. Yeah. And you know, as I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, different uh, things that happened during the show, but, as as we get started, I, I definitely didn't want to forget uh, Maxon for not only making one, one of the best booths of NAB that I've been to the Maxon booth. Um, I think it's uh, their best, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the location was awesome. The community they brought there. And I mean, let's face it, like they bring all these artists to Vegas and they show us such an awesome time. I just wanted to give them a shout out because that, that all that stuff wouldn't happen without Maxon us and Paul and Matthias and the whole crew over there. Um, they get it done, right? They treat their artists and everybody with, um, uh, not just respect, but they, they also show them a good time and they, they, um, they make it fun for us all. It's not, it's not a job while we're there. So uh, the reason they, we've gone to like seven or eight NABs in a row. Yeah. I think I did the math. It was my eighth NAB this year which is bonkers, hmm. but, uh, but awesome, awesome being at the booth, um, doing the live presentations, all that stuff. So maybe what we could do is kind of hop around to each of us and talk about some of the, uh, takeaways that, that we've, uh, that we've kind of been, that we, that we took from NAB and maybe some of the, you know, uh, people and, um, uh, some of the things that we're, our, our favorite parts, basically. That took a long way to say that, but our best, our favorite parts of NAB. That's, favorite, that's a good Favorite one. bits. Favorite bits. Tips. What, NAB uh, tips. Uh, well, I mean, dude, this has got nothing to do with my favorite bit, but I never thought like standing all day would make my legs and feet hurt as much oh, as back it to the did. Old man stuff. Yeah, you oh, were, we're, going, we're getting back to the old guy stuff. I'm sorry. I just have to say it. Like, if, if I need to find a better solution there because, like, I was like, by the end of the day, my legs were so tired. Anyway, maybe um, we can get you one of those, um, uh, like, uh, Mission Impossible vests where you could just dangle <laughs> from the ceiling, maybe, and that yes. then you could demo, and then you could like kind of fly and push away and come back and do a little. I want little that. Demo. Yes. Or I want to like just be in one. I'll have like an iPad robot, like those little iPads on a stand that roll around. So you can stay home. I'll just be in my hotel room, like ordering room <laughs> service and being like, hey, what can, I, what can I show you today? Uh, and then just wheel me over to the roulette table and, you know, let that happen. Uh, anyway, but yeah, I, I'll start off, I guess. Um, favorite bits, huh? I guess one of my, I guess the favorite thing, one of my favorite things, and I have a lot. To, that I kind of learned so much from talking to all of our customers and and learning about Cinema 4D's amazing community. I'm really pretty new to the, this community. Only my second NAB, only a year and a half into Cinema 4D. And um, I got to say, and I don't want this to come off as like some rah-rah thing, but it really kind of is because I, I used to be a part of the Autodesk world and way back in the day, the 3ds Max community was pretty strong and pretty solid, and and I haven't like I haven't seen this type of community, the the Cinema 4D community, uh, ever before. I mean, the amount of people that are so cool and approachable, and the booth and the organization from uh, what they're doing in the American office to the Germans, all throughout the entire organization. I feel like there's this support for the artists that I've just never seen before in any other situation. So for me, I think one of the things that I learned was just how amazing Maxon is to its to its user base and to its uh, demo artists. And, and that type of energy that, oh, my dog came in to say hello. Um, that type of energy I've just not seen before in, in a very, very long time. So I just want everybody to take a collective sigh of of appreciation um for what they do for the industry for the motion design industry both the users the potential users us the demo artists i mean they were so good dude like every need was taken care of they made sure that the booth was running smoothly everybody was watching online you've got uh our little booth that we had was wired up and ready to go for us 
just it was just a great feeling to go there and see all these people hanging out on times where normally there's nobody around. It was mind blowing, man. Like on a on a Thursday, like usually the last day of a Thursday nab, there's like everybody's flying out, there's nobody around. There were still people hanging around us, around the Maxon booth, watching stuff. It just like the energy was was high. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll second that one. Um they've always done an amazing job with the community. Um, you know, I I haven't uh had the bad luck to see other communities around the the 3D world, but um, it's always been amazing, and there's always a ton of people that that say that this is really rare. And um, yeah, huge shout out to not only Maxon, but but everyone that is a part of the community that is willing to share and and be a part of it. You know, there was um, there was a time on uh, Tuesday during the show where everybody that that uh, almost everybody online basically started hanging out by the Maxon booth. And I and I don't think that it was necessarily an accident. I think that it happened because the C4D community in general is just such an open and welcoming group that when everyone decided to to stand around and start talking about and meeting up with everybody, the the, the booth was an obvious place for it. I mean, we had people from Red Giant there and people showed up for a few minutes and... Um, Gosh, I'm going to leave people out now. Uh, you know, obviously EJ was there and the BroGraph guys were there. Uh, X Particles team was there. Our booth was there and tons of Cinema 4D artists as well. Everybody that spoke at the booth was, you know, coming in and out of the booth there. And it was just a like the central collective place where people would meet up and start hanging out and and talking. So it was somebody um, was joking that if uh, if a section of of ceiling fell at that time, they would have taken out like ninety five percent of the motion graphics community in the world, <laughs> just because everybody was hanging out right in this one tiny spot, huge crowd right in front of it, and is like all the famous people, like everybody that you you know talk to on Slack and on Twitter, and you see their work on the front of like After Effects when it loads up and everything. It's like all the most amazing people all piled up. <laughs> like almost almost by coincidence as far as timing, but not by coincidence for the location. Yeah, for sure. It was um it was really cool. So yeah, definitely the booth. Um Chris, do you have something that stood out in during the week? Um it's it's hard to say. I mean, we we end up having a very different experience than maybe even we usually do because traditionally we would be presenting a little bit and then have a lot of time to just wander around and go see the other parts of the show and like shake more, shake more uh, hands of other booths where that wasn't really the case this time. This time we were hanging out like near the Maxon booth at our own setup, doing all these crazy, you know, doing all of our things, but meeting so many people and there's so much energy and activity just in that one little spot. Like, in fact, the way they, uh, the way that Maxon set up their booth this time was instead of four pods, there were six and they put up like this big divider wall. So it was like this big hangout area and everybody's just standing around all the time like talking about Cinema 4D, talking about what they've been working on. Like we get to talk to so many people about the tools that they're, they're using, um, that, like how they use our stuff, just see what everybody's been up to for the past year. Uh, and there's so many like regulars that come by the booth that you haven't seen since the last, the last time there was a show. So that kind of stuff is always, um, is always super fun. I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a reason we keep going back to NAB and it's, it's always about the people. Like Vegas, I guess, is fun, but it's not really my kind of fun. And if it wasn't for all those people, I would never want to go back. And you're just surrounded by them all day, every day. And, uh, you know, it's worth the, uh, the the late nights and the chapstick you have to wear constantly. <laughs> How do people survive there? It's crazy. Well, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I lived there for a year. So I lived in Vegas in from 2000 to 2001. And, uh, or was it? Yeah, that was the right years. And, um, Man, I remember drinking a lot of water, but I don't remember the chapstick and stuff. So I, I don't know. Maybe I was just young and I could pull that stuff off. Um, but, you know, to get to get to the booth and maybe we're talking too much about it. And uh, for those of you who didn't couldn't make it, uh, I think one of the reasons I, I, I want to kind of push this side of it is because you know what it is? I talk a lot about making sure that as an artist that you not only spend time in front of your computer and that you get out and you start to meet people, whether it's at a local event or whether it's at half res or, or one of these larger events at NAB or Seagraph. Um, 
I think that's why the, this stuff is so important because it is the ability to meet up with other people that do what you do and to be able to hang out with them. And in our case, with the with having the booth, it was really exciting because we got to talk to our customers and we got to um, kind of see and listen how, like not only how they use our plugins and use our uh, tutorials, but also like how they do their job in general. And um, that that to me was one of the one of the best parts of the show was being able to talk directly to our fans and our customers and the podcast listeners and understand that like how they really do their job and also like where they work. And I know um, Chad, you might have some some more to say about that. I mean, we talked recently in another podcast about where the direction of getting a job being a motion designer is going and. There was a lot of talk about, you know, these this industry of moving towards building their own local studios instead of relying on big agencies. And we found that to be really true with um yeah, with true. us. So, you know, some of the people that stopped by the booth we had, um, we had Twitch came by. Oh, they yeah. brought us some awesome uh hoodies, by the way. Thank you, Twitch. It was really cool too. It was like this amazing meta moment where some guys who work at the motion graphics department at Twitch came up and they were, yeah, there you go. They gave us a whole bag. They, they came up and they were fans of Grayscale Gorilla, but they specifically liked watching AskGSG live on Twitch. So it was weird talking to the Twitch guys about Grayscale Gorilla, but in the context of Twitch, like, I don't know. I, I like that little circle coming around. That was super fun. Uh, but yeah, so many, so many brand new in-house studios. Like, oh, we do the graphic. We're the graphics department for this company. We're the graphics department for this company. Not even graphics department. The motion graphics department of these companies, which was I, I feel like that was kind of new. I mean, we can't get uh, specific on some of them, maybe, but it's just like really that. Yeah, it's, that, so that group was has a motion gra graphics department. That's amazing and crazy. I came away from the show with a completely different perspective on our industry. I think a lot of people kind of see motion design from their own little bubble and they just assume that all motion design is happening in the way that they're experiencing it. But what the show taught me is that there's not one industry, there's not one type of artist, there's not one type of work, there's just like, it's everywhere, it's content. And content is being generated by agencies, individuals, corporations, everybody is making crap tons of content. And it's becoming really apparent to me that a motion designer can work in any of those fields and use our tools or watch our tutorials, come to our booth. And I was just really inspired, like Chris was saying, like all these different people coming up to us saying, I work internal, uh, I do internal motion design at this big company or this big corporation or this football team or whatever. And it was just nonstop. Like it used to be back in the, you know, maybe three or four years ago, you'd say, oh, I'm a freelancer or I work at this motion design studio. But now what we're seeing is like all these companies bringing motion design internal because they have so much content they need to deliver. They can't, it doesn't, it's not cost effective to go to their ad agency anymore. So they bring it internal. And what this means is that our industry now has more avenues for artists to get work and, and, and get stable jobs and actually have 401ks and insurance and all these balance of life and all that sort of thing. It's fantastic, I think. And, and I was really inspired by that so that when I came back, and I would talk to somebody about rendering and I'll, I'll get into what I think about, you know, we will get on the render war thing in a minute, but um, so much like now, so much now, like this it's changed my perspective so much that somebody will come and tell me like, Oh, um, you know, uh, so 3ds max, does anybody even use that anymore? And, and it just like that type of attitude of like, I don't, it's not part of my everyday, therefore it must not be part of anybody's everyday has like gone away for me. Like I'm, I'm now of the mindset that there, there are, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of ways to use the tools in which we create, whether it's Cinema 4D, Max, Maya, what have you. And there is industries in every shape and form using these tools and hiring artists. So, so I think that it, if you think that your workflow is by somehow, you know, somehow like, the only workflow 
it's not true. There's like so many different people using the tools in so many different ways that it really kind of blew my mind to think like, oh, okay, so yeah, never even thought about our like one of our plugins being used for um, product viz when I never really thought about it being used that way. So it talking to all walks of life and all different types of people and and not everybody is working on Super Bowl spots. They're working on um, visualizing parts of a machine that we might not even be aware of and that's their job and they they need our tools and our tutorials as much as the person that's doing really high-end motion graphics for a film or something. So it just really kind of opened up my mind. Um, I guess I'm ranting now, but the idea that there's all walks of life, all types of people, all different levels, all needing to create content. And and that was really ins inspiring to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, it brought me back um, home with a sense of um, what we do next in a way and, and how to focus our energy um, to, to help more people. You know, being able to talk to people that do this for a living, use some of our stuff, uh, watch our training, and then be able to listen to them and how they work every day allows us to, uh, you know, come back and focus on, you know, what we're going to build next and what tutorial we're going to put out next. And, you know, some of the render things as well. You know, people still have questions about which which render is is right for them and their big team or their small team. And there's just so many questions out there that um, it got me excited to get back home and uh, and get back get back to work, frankly. Um, it was uh, it was really, really, really fun to uh, to talk to everybody. Well, there was a no 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 big spoilers for me here for everybody, but you know it was kind of I was you know when you know talking to particular people, you're, you're kind of showing them some stuff we're working on and some ideas that we have and some things. It just makes me all the more excited to be like, oh, there's these things we're working on, and it's gonna be really cool once we can show everybody. But I couldn't help showing a couple people. And that's really fun. And then we can't talk about any of that. It was cool standing behind the uh, the X Particle guys and uh, over at Insidium and seeing some of the new features they're coming out with. Can't talk about any of them, but they're pretty awesome. Yeah, we got some uh, some little uh, some actually really cool demos of some new stuff coming from uh, from X Particles as well. So um, that that was fun. Uh, so you know, other other parts of the show for me, you know, obviously the 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 people there. Um, you know, there's a there's a million stories to tell uh, about all the show. Probably most of them we shouldn't uh, tell on a on a podcast. But you know, for me, other than the the specific people and conversations I had with with um, a lot of friends, I rarely get to see other than at shows like that. Um, one of the other places where a lot of people show up that's really fun is the pinball party, and uh, this has been a slow uh, uh, kind of tradition that's been building up over the last. Um, eight years now, seven years now, but it's really taken off in the last couple of years where so many people from around our industry show up at the pinball party. And um, another great thing that Maxon does every year, brings in food trucks and uh, a bartender into a pinball museum where there's uh, you know two, 300 pinball machines there ready to play. So we had a really fun little tournament. And again, mostly it's about meeting everybody and, and having conversations. So um, you know, one of the people I ran into was somebody I was really, really interested in talking to. We've actually talked to him on, um, about him on the podcast, and that's uh, Chris Doe. So Chris, I turned the corner, and there he is. And we've been talking a lot about um, uh, about him on the podcast, and it was really cool to just like, you know, basically turn uh, turn a corner in a pinball museum and and there he is to talk to and we ended up having a really cool conversation and um have a lot in uh i guess in common as far as being able to explain not just the technical side of this industry but try to push more on the design side and how to help people get jobs in this industry so um hopefully we'll be talking with him more on the podcast but uh it was just that was a really cool moment for me to literally uh, bump into somebody I've been trying to meet for the last uh, few months. Uh, Chad, um, you had you on Twitter have already posted quite a few of your um, like takeaways from NAB, and um, I think sharing a couple of those on the podcast as well would be helpful because you um, you're really seeing some some different angles as far as renderers and um, and technology as we as we kind of pulled away. What 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 are your other thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, the, the render wars have, as they've come to be known. And, um, before I even like get into that special shout out to the Brograph guys who created these one-off render wars, t-shirts that mine are actually being washed right now. Otherwise yeah, I mine show too. Mine. I'm running all over the trying to find it. It's like, no, it's still in the <laughs> yeah. laundry. I will show them up. We'll show them, um, maybe on the next, on the next podcast, but yeah, they made these great render war shirts that, cause they're fans of the render wars as well. Um, so my biggest takeaway on rendering is that people are really facing big decisions in all kinds of areas of motion design. And again, it gets back to that. My, my, I, my, uh, perspective has been widened, I think since the show and just understanding that it's not all or nothing. And I think a lot of people that are using octane, I'll get into it in a nitty gritty, but a big overall picture is that you can't just, your workflow may not be right for everyone. And to assume that you should um, you, you presume, I guess, you should never presume to understand what somebody should need until you fully understand what they do. So I kept getting the question the entire week, rendering is changing, what should I do? What should I, should I buy a PC? Should I stay on Mac? Should I go GPU, CPU? And I started to like come up with this formula of answering these questions that someday I'm actually gonna mind map them into like a quiz. By the end, it'll tell you what renderer you should be using. Um, <laughs> what maybe, renderer are you? Yeah, so I always start off with this. I say, what is physical not doing for you? And that gives me an idea Ooh. of what, what they are missing. That's and a good question. I, Very Socratic I, of you. Yeah, and then I say something like, um, well, what kind of work are you in? Like, what are you making? And so in these questions, I'll learn a little bit about what kind of work they're doing, what they want to be doing, what physical's not doing for them. I ran into people that are work in studios that can't just like flip a switch and go GPU because it means buying entirely new workstations for their entire team throwing away the dollars invested into a CPU render farm. And then it's really hard for some reason for other artists to even like acknowledge that that workflow exists because everybody is always like, oh, just just GPU, man. Like that's where it's at. That's where you gotta be. And, it's, and I just wanna say to those people, not everybody works that way. And you need to understand that not everybody has the same needs or same workflow. Like, of course, if you're a freelancer and you have expendable cash and you can just make that switch to GPU, totally fine. But there are people out there in studio situations on trash can Macs that not only have they not converted to PC, but they, the GPU thing is another step away because they first have to get onto a platform that can even do that. So it just really opens up your mind in terms of, um, uh, what other people are doing and the decisions that they are facing. They're facing decisions like bigger decisions than rendering, but more about like, well, do I stay on the Mac or do I go to PC? Can If I want to stay on Mac, but I want advanced rendering, what's my solution for that? If I uh, work at a studio that are PC, but they don't have like 10 GPUs in them, what are my options there? I have a farm, what are my options? I'm a single artist with not a lot of money to spend on a beast, what are my options? So the answers are so different for every single person that I talk to that I literally would have to get their entire backstory before I could even offer up any sort of solution. Um, so all I ask out there for people that are advising people or maybe you're on Twitter uh, telling everyone that Octane is the best thing since whatever, just remember that everybody's coming at this industry from a completely different perspective and what works for you may not work for them. So before you offer up um, or evangelize a software or solution hardware, try to get the person's story and and, and be helpful in, in a way that's going to bring their work up. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, it w it's, it's not Render Wars because there's one clear example it's render wars because there is no clear example there's there or there is no clear winner right so uh this is this is a perfect place for us to be um in some cases in some cases having all these options can be really kind of scary and terrifying but it it actually 
in the end helps everyone if we have more options. Um, so as all this stuff plays out, you know, we're definitely in the middle of this splintering and different things for different people, but you're right. Like this isn't, there isn't going to be one clear winner that comes out of this. It's going to mm -hmm. be, um, you know, like, like, uh, like cars, like it, like your, even your car analogy, when you talk about, um, Arnold versus octane versus physical, you know, you, you bring up the, the analogy and hopefully I get this right. Um, that Arnold is a truck, uh, like a pickup truck and octane is a race car and physical render is like a, like a family sedan. And you would use all of those <laughs> and you would use all of those in different ways. Right. And they all have different, um, like uses. And, and when you need to pick up the, like when you need to take the whole family, you probably wouldn't take the pickup or the, uh, or the, um, race car. Right. But you, if you start to think about all these renders as filling in other gaps, there might be a go-kart renderer and there might be like a really lightweight bicycle renderer and there might be a huge semi-truck renderer that comes down the pipeline that could do, that could hold and do a bunch of geometry and, but it takes forever right. to render or whatever. Like I think yeah. think of, thinking of it in that way is definitely a much um, more practical idea than trying to find which is the winner so that you could back it. I think it, no, I think, I think that the people's natural reaction is that they want to know what's the one that's going to win. And it's just not that simple. You know, you, right. you just can't, there isn't one, there's one that's going to win for you, but it's, it's completely dependent on so many factors that you, you, you're only going to find that out by, by either trying them all or, or talking to someone that understands the way you work. But there are some fundamental truths that I will say that are that are not going to change. One being, if, if things are going PC, until I see a Mac Pro, a new Mac Pro in 2019 or whatever, I am going to always tell people, if you're looking to make a change in the hardware department, go PC. The other fundamental truth, things are going GPU. Now, you may be at a studio that's completely CPU-based, and that's not going to be a reality for you for another three or four years. But I will guarantee you right now, GPU rendering is here to stay. And that's going to be happening more and more and more. Not saying that if you're at a studio, you're going to have to like drop all your render blades and like go full GPU. But just know that that's where it is headed. Um, <laughs> Don't invest in more CPUs right yes, now. Maybe. If I were start, you. Start saving up. Right. And then there's this whole other thing that we could talk about which I'm currently kind of formulating like a blog post, like medium article about, which is the idea of um, the cloud rendering, which has been, it's, no, it's not new, it's been around for a while, but I feel like cloud rendering is even gonna democratize 3D even more because now it's gonna be so affordable to do projects on the cloud that maybe it's not even worth buying uh, a, a, a souped up multi GPU $10,000 machine. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, we're going way out into the future here, but someday I imagine a world in which you pay a monthly subscription fee to access a terminal that is in a data center somewhere. And that's your machine. Like you're, you don't even have a computer at your desk. You just have a monitor, a mouse and a real good internet connection. And that's how you work. Like someday that's where, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but someday that's what, what's going to happen. You're going to be renting your machine online somewhere and it's whatever machine you can afford at that point. And then of course all your rendering will happen in the cloud, blah, blah, blah. But now I'm like crystal balling it like crazy right now. But anyway, it gets me excited. The future. The future. Chris, um, anything else pop out? I mean, I know there's a, a ton of stuff this week, but uh, any other Try to think of specifics. I mean, it, we spent so long just shaking everybody's hands like we were at our booth, so we didn't get to see presentations the way we might normally get to. Um, I mean, we get to do our presentations, which was super fun. Um, so I yeah. get to actually actually we got a, a, a tiny, tiny sad note for mine. The uh, the machine they were capturing everything on crashed during my presentation. Um, which they were super apologetic for, but I'm going to have to re-record that. I'm going to re-record it at home, so everybody's going to still get to see it. 
Oh yeah, uh, we uh, should do that this week, man. I think um, we could we could have the first video out from uh, sneak out ahead of the line, <laughs> ahead of ahead of them. Um, because yeah, the first normal batch I think will be coming out maybe in like two weeks ish, and then they'll keep coming out every week after that. And there's they had twenty one different presenters this time. Everybody talking about different things, lots of cool stuff. There was some stuff about Unity, like lots of different product things and projects people were working on. Like I got to see and talk to people about their presentations, even if I didn't get to see a ton of them directly. Um, yeah. So that was always super cool. But uh, and then you and I got to do that live show. We got to do a live live Ask GSG. Yeah, it's cool was to fun. get the audience uh, question right from the audience. It goes the time goes so fast though. Because we've been talking about like maybe putting this button together, and then we did the two of them and times over. And it's like, oh yeah, SGSG is usually two hours, not like fifty minutes. Yeah, we uh, it, it was fun though. We we did uh, two of us at the presentation booth, which it's kind of fun because it's really not set up for two people. Nope, it's it's set up for one. So we we find ourselves like, you know, I use a Wacom tablet and and Chris doesn't, and we're we're both jumping in and grabbing you know the mouse and stuff. And uh, it was just, it was kind of an exciting moment for me and it's all live and we're just, we're figuring this stuff out as we go. So it's always a, it's always a fun thing to, to do Ask GSG. I forget how much fun that was. Well, but yeah. And I mean, that, that is the one, one of the, one of the, well, I mean, I guess there's a bunch of things, but one of the main things I missed from us being in a, like the artist co-op space, kind of the studio space was us being able to combo that stuff more often and more easily hmm. where like while we're working, there's like, you know, I'm working on a piece of geometry and it's like, oh, there's so many triangles not working. But then you compensated for it in the lighting. So that geometry didn't matter that much. And then you're grabbing the mouse and you're controlling it. You're like, wait a minute. Why am I on a mouse? And you push it away and you grab your pen. Um, and then, you know, being able to jump back in and then answer your question when something was kind of not working properly um, and just get different takes. Like, you know, when I'm, you know, whenever you're steering, I, I'm not quite sure where you're going to go with it. But when I'm, you know, it's only me on the show, like I know exactly where it's going. Well, I was the same. And, and when it comes out, you guys should check it out. The first one in particular um, was about this faceted geometry kind of effect. And you, I had no clue where you were going with this thing. You, you added a tracer out of nowhere. You were adding like all these effectors. I'm like, whoa, what the heck? And then all of a sudden it just came together at the end. I'm like, oh, I see where you're going. So yeah, I could see from both sides of us. It's, it's fun, but it's also how I learn. It's a, it's yeah. really interesting. I get well, to watch you, and yeah. see, you wouldn't see put how the, Chris's uh, brain goes. You went through the displays around there, and there's suddenly depth, and there's catching light in all these angles. I was like, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> it's fun. I miss I miss that too, man. Um, how did your guys' presentations seem to go? Uh, good. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that uh, I was a little bit nervous as to like how because I was doing a lot of like production tips and tricks and little things that I picked up and all the like fun bits of, of kind of project management, project organization. And, <laughs> the and fun to, parts of project organization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it that doesn't set the tell ever say. That's what worried me. Like, honestly, <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. You know, like, are people going to think this is, this is like boring or something. But, um, afterwards somebody, I don't remember where I saw it. Somebody was like, somebody said something like, Chad is up there show, telling something about um, something that uh, would take a lifetime of, of, of production experience to learn. And that, you know, it's true. Like, you don't learn some of the techniques and, like, ideas behind what I was doing uh, unless you work in production or work with somebody that's been doing it a while. So it was fun for me to share some of that stuff and talk about how I work and kind of break down the the Gorilla Grades Lutz promo that we did and talk about how we did that in four days and like, how is that even possible? You know, little tricks like that. But I think it was good. It was definitely, um, it, it was definitely one of those things where I wasn't sure how it was going to go over. And then afterwards, people were coming up to me, like people that, that I know from the industry telling me that they've never seen what I showed. Like, I didn't know that that tool even existed or I never knew that, that you could do that with cinema 40. And for me to hear that from somebody who's been doing cinema 40 for over, you know, five, 10 years, and I've only been using it in a year and a half. I think I might've done something right. If I, if I was able to show somebody like that, uh, and teach them something because really that's all I wanted to do is like have people pick up a few things from it and use it in their everyday workflow. So hopefully they did that. 
but well, you'll it, see when you, when it comes out. It's really um, interesting to have somebody with your like to, somebody that has as much experience as you do, Chad, bring all of that to cinema. Because I think a large group of us, we're all kind of figuring it out early on and we all kind of got the 3D bug at the same time was was like when cinema came into um, into being, right? So it's, it's rare to find somebody that switched over to cinema that has that much history that brings with with it all of your production techniques as well so you it was definitely a really cool presentation to watch just on how you organize and how you uh can set up a scene um to to get it done that fast and it's it's easy to to watch a bunch more tutorials about the flashy stuff and and MoGraph stuff and dynamics and all the fun stuff i love making videos about but to to watch a video like that um can really speed up someone's um workflow i think i think that is frankly what the what what uh, we need more of so um i'm excited to to pick your brain more about that stuff well the thing i would tell people when they came by like before it and they were like oh what are you gonna what are you gonna do what are you gonna talk about i would just say okay um the best thing that i'm gonna show in my presentation is how you never have to name an output ever again You'll know, and if you use this technique using t takes and tokens, you'll never have to name an output again, and you'll never accidentally overwrite overwrite your previous render. And if you follow the steps that I do, uh, it'll be completely automated, and you just never will have to worry about it again. And they're they're always like, "What? That's crazy! Uh, how's that? What do you mean?" And, and so they, when they see it, they're like, "Oh my gosh! I had no idea you could even do this." And it's those kinds of like things that I just love showing people because number one, it, it it's going to save them a ton of time and, and from making mistakes. But it's also not necessarily, it's like a production workflow thing that you don't necessarily think about cinema for because when I, before I use cinema, you know, as you guys know, I was kind of like a naysayer about it. And I myself was like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just for art directors and whatnot. But really... Cinema has so many amazing product manage, project management type little tools and tricks that it can be used in, in large productions. It is used in large productions. It's just not a lot of people talk about it. So I guess that's what I was doing is like making sure people understand that, hey, you know what? This tool is legit. I've, I've been working in it for a year and a half. Here's what I found to be awesome. Check it out. Maybe you like it too. That sort of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for these to get out. Um, Chris, how did how did yours go? Besides um, it not recording. <laughs> besides it not recording. I think it, it, it went out, and not only did it not record, it crashed the stream too, so people didn't even get to finish it online. Oh, well, this is your perfect chance, Chris, to just tell everybody how amazingly perfect everything went. Yeah, we just going to question you. It was so great. This will like, never happen again. Standing ovation, you, right? Your next job. Yeah. Standing ovation. The whole, uh, I, what I heard actually was a maybe a rumor, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, all of uh, all of NAB just shut down for about two minutes after Chris's presentation. And it was just uh, like a roar of applause and uh, people putting down their other software packages and running over and instantly buying Cinema 4D. Um, I heard a lot of really good things. <laughs> There were some it's tears. I, it's, some it's, tears. All, it's all true. <laughs> tears. Um, well, so when you redo it, when you redo it here in the next uh, few days, um, what uh, maybe what what did you learn on the on the live one that you'll that you'll uh, change in the in the new ones? Well, I don't think I'm gonna change anything, but there, I did have a bunch of ones I didn't get to, and I'm trying to decide if I'm gonna record like a second video of like the bonus ones or if I should just save those for whatever my next presentation is when I do a whole series of tips and tricks. This is good. I think you should split uh, all of them up now. Like, I think you should do 10 and 10 and 10 and 10 and make real short videos and then say, all right, do these 10 this week and I'll see you next week for another 10. And, and you like know, like little three minute clips. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, YouTube, um, you know, we can make a little playlist and it could just be nonstop Chris, hits like nonstop Chris tips, right? 10 minutes, yeah, well, the, 10, the 10 for 10. When it comes to those tips and trick videos, especially like it's tips, tricks and techniques. So 
so many of those things, I really have to like pare them way down to like, what is the essence of this one? But really could take any one of those topics and turn it into like a much bigger thing. I guess anybody who was watching did get to see the early one. I made sure to put one of my favorite ones at the beginning, but it's like a, it's like a, maybe a four click technique, but it will literally remove every single edge and point of a, a model and just clean up to the maximum amount without losing any of the detail it works well and it works really well for geometric objects and it was just a, something I, I come kind of stumbled across it's something i was writing like 500 lines of code to do it and i figured i had to do it with four buttons in cinema <laughs> you're like i'm good it's like, i don't know it. man if it's yeah, over three clicks like, over three clicks you lose me yeah well no <laughs> but uh yeah and uh somebody's trying to convince me that I should just turn into a script so it turns into one click and it would be it would work <laughs> that way but that would be awesome but, I mean, and that, that technique is just really fun too because like you can get some you know you can have some relatively clean geometry but something like the parametric bool or just doing any kind of bool no i'm sorry not bool uh bevel on it mm -hmm. like you might catch this weird corner or it doesn't like some weird edge where three points meet and when you clean up the geometry like this it just it just seems to automatically work every time because there's so few edges and polygons for it to worry about so that's well, uh, i that's can't wait to one. see it man but i, I I got. I like this. Um, I like this ten for ten thing. I think we should. I think we should try it. I would. Uh, wa I would watch that. Wouldn't that be great? But would you um, be more likely to watch them as ten little videos or as one? Yeah, I think so. I like, I like little videos. I'm not. But do I have, I have to, to record an intro for each one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. This is a little inside baseball. But let's just, get through this. I like this. Just record one intro that kind of leaves it open, Ooh. and use it for all of them. In this video, you learn more. In this video, you're going to learn some stuff. Now let's get started. <laughs> right, that's how we we can do all of our intros, right? Yeah, there we go. Oh, Done. I'd be so happy. And everybody watching knows if you watch our tutorials, we we have the little clip at the end, which you know who knows if it's a blooper or something. But all you have to do is watch a couple of mine to see the way I struggle on those intros. Yeah, when, I record, when I record my when I record my tutorial, I do it. If I mess up in like the first thirty seconds, I'll start over. But after that, I just I just usually have like a clean run straight through. But those intros, man, they I, ruin you, huh? Yeah, same destroy here. me, destroy me. I, I, I usually do about twenty twenty takes before I get the one that I like. Yeah, if you guys want to see some good uh, bloopers, check out our recent YouTube videos. <laughs> Chris has been adding some. Actually, Chad, you've been uh, had some good ones on those can ones as well. Oh yeah, those are just oh, disturbing ones. So oh, yeah. that was me trying to like <laughs> loosen up. I'm gonna have to go watch that. Um, that people good. said that it was gonna give them nightmares. Oh, oh I'm gonna Google it right now. We're gonna put like, this in the show notes. I'm like, yep, thank you. Oh, anyway, everybody, what's I know it's not an AB, but we'll have to put uh, a link to our favorite personal blooper one in the notes okay. in the show notes. There you go. That'd be good. I'm trying to think of like other NAB stuff that we okay, so we demoed. We were demoing at our booth. We demoed Signal with a brand new feature that will be out at some point. I'm just going to leave it that. How's that for open-ended? Yeah, that was good. Um, nice work. Yeah, it's close yeah. enough that we're showing it off. Yeah, it's close enough. And so uh, let's talk about what that is because I think a lot of people may have seen it. when we, we were streaming a lot too on Instagram. That was kind of our our social platform of choice during the show we were doing a lot of stories a lot of streaming we had our gimbal rig running around we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff for people to check out what we were doing on our little area but we were demoing two products mainly the signal update uh which is going to have some really killer uh beats per minute features that we're we'll go into a little more detail and i'll let i'll let um maybe chris talk more about that and then we were also showing a new HDRI pack that will work with HDRI Studio Rig and HDRI Link that I'm excited about for doing metals. You may have seen some of the killer renders that were happening on the floor using Patrick Goski's awesome cat model that he made. He literally came over on the first day and was like with a thumb drive and was like, use this model. And I was like, okay. And it, it actually, great. I know it looks so cool that I've it's used it all model. week. I just like, it would just attract people like metal, this chromed out cool sculpture of a, this like cat pyramid thing. Um, and I was like, wow, this is just gonna, this is fantastic for this metal pack. Um, so the reasoning behind the metal pack was that a lot of times it's really hard uh, to get cool looking uh, chromes and metals in 3D. I mean, you think, oh, well, that's the thing that we've always seen 
chrome and metals in 3D has been around forever. Well, it's actually really hard to make that stuff look good without the right reflection map, without the right environment. And so people usually have their one or two maps that they go to for everything. And like regular studio lights don't really work because a hot light or a hot shadow, or not hot shadow, but a hot highlight or softbox edge looks like crap on Chrome. It's just too contrasty. You often need like little gradients and little hot spots and little, you know, washes of, of, of gray and white. So I hand created like 25 of these awesome HDRIs that I'm excited to get out and have people render out all their awesome Chrome logos, machine parts, motorcycles, whatever. So that's going to be coming out soon. And I was showing that off. People were stoked about that. But the real big thing was definitely showing people Signal and our new uh, our new feature. Chris, you want to talk about how that came about? Like even going back to the beginnings, how 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 BPM came about? Yeah, how, how I mean, because it's an interesting story that I'm sure people are maybe sort of aware of, but maybe not fully aware of. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, like a lot of other people in the Cinema 4D motion graphics community, um, everyone suddenly became aware that Dead Mouse was streaming live on Twitch, and he was creating cinema. He was creating graphics for his own show in Cinema 4D, and everybody like flipped out. Like, was like, "Oh my God, Dead Mouse is streaming!" I don't know. It's weird to have like an external celebrity, I guess, tinkering with the stuff we do. It, it, I'm trying to think of like a weird parallel. You know, this is like. You know, some famous actor talking about After Effects. It's just like, what? That's not something that happens. <laughs> um, so, so we got a hold of him. We were kind of chatting back and forth, and uh, he was already like, he was checking out. Like, pretty much, if there's something somebody was doing in Cinema 4D, he was already like aware of it. He had already watched like a tons of our videos and watched lots of our tutorials. He's watching lots of different stuff. So we got to talking about what he was working on, and uh, he's working on, you know, he's working on these animations. He's trying to get this. He he was asking essentially, like, I've got this espresso problem. He was already using espresso. This man's crazy. Um, yeah. So he had this really complicated rig uh, of in espresso where he's trying to get this repeating beats per minute setup going, and we were like, well, okay, we can take a look at it, and we translated it into Signal, but then we started having some more internal conversations about like. You know, like, and we were talking to uh, your, you know, Trevor, which I'm sad he wasn't an A and B, but we were talking to Trevor a bunch, Trevor Kerr, and he's he's more of a sound guy. He's done a lot of uh, VJ work, some uh, video DJ work, and he's a little bit more of an, an expert in like the way the the boards look and the or what do you call it, like the sequences and the measures and everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, me and him were like going back forth, back forth, back forth, making all these quick iterations, and meanwhile we're coding over here. So we like put together this big update to Signal in like two weeks of like just thrashing it out and like constant changes and iterations and like jumping back and forth and sending stuff over to Dead Mouse and he was playing with it and then making an even better version and sending that out and Trevor doing ideas. It was just it was a really fun process. I learned so much about like the way music is broken down and how the beats work and all these. I think I'm starting to lose it already. <laughs> <laughs> but I was learning so much about the way music when works. When does the mixtape come out, Chris? Yeah, That's what okay. I want to know. When does the Chris you got your new tape? Yeah, you got your new song coming out. When's it gonna drop? Um, but to describe it in, I guess, an audio way, because the entire thing is kind of, in spite of it being beats per minute, the entire thing is for visuals. But you you find out your beats per minute, and there's lots of fun ways to do that, doing that online. My favorite way of doing it online is you just start playing the song, and you go to this one website, and you just keep, and I'll Google it for the show notes, and you just keep tapping your space bar based on the beat of the music, and it's constantly like calibrating it closer. And you're like, oh, cool, I'm running 120 beats per minute. And you just type that in. And now anything you're driving with signal will kind of be on that sequence. But we have a whole sequence and it's divided up in like up to 16 parts and you can subdivide it into one part or 16 or two fourths and then an eight. But every one of those sequences, you can go and uh, adapt a different spline, a different animation and everything. And you can fade it up and fade it down. There's so many different ways of combining it. It's a completely different way of working it. It's so intuitive. It's such an intuitive addition to Signal. Mm -hmm. That's a fun way of getting a little bit more of that, you know, the entire thing's a kind of Signal. It's based off of a musical or sound idea, and now we've got some of that in there. So be keeping yeah. an eye out for that and different demos we're putting together and, you know, just the overall launch of it once we figure out exactly when that is. I, I kind of, um, I mean, I, I really enjoy that addition too in the story because that's, that is the genesis of Signal was... Um, this thought of stomp boxes for guitars or a rack of um, 
uh, like synthesizers for keyboards. Um, the ability to like plug in different things and get different sine waves and all this stuff together was kind of how the how Signal was born. And you know, in general, you know, I, the other thing I noticed at at NAB is a lot of people just didn't know what Signal did and and you know why to use it. And um, you know, one of the reasons we built it was we wanted a procedural way for people to animate, but we also wanted um, a unique new way to also animate. So instead of only relying on keyframes, there's many different ways you can animate. And what BPM brings to the mix is the ability to animate the same way that a producer would make drums for their song. So if you imagine uh, a sample, like if you have a kick drum or a snare sample, and you bring that into a sequencer, you could then tell that snare where to play based on time and based on the, the beats per minute of the song. Well, imagine now that you're animating with samples instead of um, instead of using audio, you're using waveforms um, in, in cinema. So it, it's just an, it's another unique way to allow users to build um, interesting, you know, animations in cinema without having to, you know, dive into keyframes. And most importantly, when things change from clients, which they always do, they now have the ability to change it procedurally and not have to jump into their keyframes and stretch it out. So if the song all of a sudden got uh, a slower, you know, the final mix comes out and the, the song that you're animating to is now in a different um, beats per minute, you just change one number now. You're good. Um, so those are the those are the things that we're trying to solve with Signal. Um, it's a yeah, really I fun plugin. Signal. Yeah, and to, be doing, to be I was clear, doing, I was doing more demos in Signal than anything else while we were at our booth, like just showing people exactly what it does. And every single person was like, I didn't know it did that. I'm not even talking about the beats per minute. That's a really cool addition. But right. And I mean, well, you guys tell me, you guys tell me if I'm wrong or you know, if, if, if it's not the way you think of it. But my one sentence explanation of Signal to people is it's the vibrate tag for every single parameter. Like, so instead of it being position, scale, rotation, it's a vibrate tag for color or the vibrate tag for the scale of something or, or you know, not the scale, but, you know, like the length of a tracer or the how wide or the radius of, a, of anything. But that's just that even that is just one tiny, tiny yeah, part a, of it. It's a, it's a keyframe replacement tool, but it's also the, the variation tag for everything. What I would always start off with, and for those of you listening that maybe aren't familiar with what Signal is, number one, it's got nothing to do it's not an audio tool it's not an audio plugin it doesn't load audio in any sort of way what it is in my one sentence description is that <clears throat> it's a fast way to automate animation and that sounds like you're taking the fun or the creativity out of animation it's actually the exact opposite because all signal is doing is driving a parameter you decide how it gets driven. So you can drive a color, you can drive rotation, you can drive any parameter that you can think of in Cinema 40, you can drag it into Signal, and now Signal is gonna drive that with its animation. Now you can decide if that animation is looping, is it ping-ponging, is it taking place over 90 frames, 150 frames. It's just, a, it's a completely uh, automa automatic way to, to handle keyframes and, and wrangle your animation. And what I think the most powerful part about it is that you you can stack more than one signal tag on your object. You don't just have to have one signal tag. You can have like, okay, this signal tag is going to drive the rotation. This one's going to drive the color. And this one's going to be modified with noise. So it it's just a, it's a fantastic way of like absolutely uh, being able to control every aspect of your animation without having to dive into the F curves and scale a bunch of keyframes. Remember what you did over here, over there, client wants to shift all the timing. Like that, we all know, we've all done like complicated camera animations or animations with hierarchies and inevitably somebody's gonna walk up to you and say, oh, can you just change this so the end is like, we needed it to happen at this frame. And now you gotta go dive into all those F curves and remember what you tweaked and then move everything. And then if you scaled them, your Beziers are going to get jacked up because you've been scaling stuff and things are going to get messed up. So what Signal does is it makes it like literally typing in a new value of an end frame and everything scales perfectly. And it's when I show people that, dude, like their minds are just like, what? Like it's 
it's fantastic. Everybody should. That's the one tool that I could honestly say, no matter what renderer you use, no matter what uh, type of work you do, you should own Signal. Oh, that's good. Um, unless you literally only do stills, you should own yeah, Signal. Exactly. <laughs> right. Unless you've never animated anything ever. That's cool. Well, let's. Uh, we got a few more minutes. Let's maybe do a little. Um, maybe a, a little rapid fire about NAB. Some of the last minute thoughts about maybe not only our experience from NAB, but also um, you know maybe why people might want to go next year or or why not. You know, like um, thinking about this for a lot of people that didn't make it um, this year. Uh, you know, some of the reasons maybe they should go back. Or not go back. Maybe the reasons they should go in the first place. Hmm. So I mean, I I could start off. Um, you know, like I said, like I said at the beginning, I think a lot of, especially this year, there wasn't a ton of new technology announced. There wasn't a brand new camera that everybody wanted to talk about. Um, this year at NAB, it felt very just personal. It felt um like it was all about the people, and I think uh, us having the booth us meeting our customers and hanging out and talking with you guys all all week and then also with all the other artists and you know everyone else that you know that made software too like showed up and we were we just were able to communicate and like hang out and learn what everyone was up to so to me that is one of my favorite reasons to go to NAB um, is to literally just see the people that do this and hang out with them. Uh, some of the other stuff, you know, there's obviously a lot of fun and parties and stuff and plenty of that stuff going on in Vegas. Um, but for me, if you're in the area, especially if you're in on the, uh, on the West coast and you have the ability to, to, to come up for a day or two, I think you'll find the the people there is really the main reason to go. Um, I I barely got to see the show floor this year, having the booth, running the booth, showing up in the morning, all tired with my coffee. You know, I didn't get to see all the, all, uh, a lot of the new stuff. Um, and you know what, it was still an amazing show because it was about hanging out and the people. So, um, if you're looking at NAB and you're going like, I don't need to go see all the new cameras and I don't need to go see even the new software, like, why would I go? It's all going to be announced online the next day anyway. Um, you're right. But what you are going to miss is all the relationships, all the people, all the friendships, uh, potentially, that can continue uh, into the future. And that that's my ooh, favorite ooh, part. I, I, know, I know the best sell for this. I met Nick Campbell at NAB <laughs> eight years ago. That's there a good go. one. And, and you could too. both lived in Chicago, but we didn't meet until we both went to NAB in Vegas. That's right. I think um, what uh, one of us bought one of us a beer. I can't remember, but I think we were sitting there. I like, think we were arguing over who owed who a beer. <laughs> like you're the, you're the guy. <laughs> that totally that sounds run. like you guys. That sounds like us. No, you get it. No, you get it. Oh wait, no. I mean, no, I'll get it. <laughs> I don't even know what to add to that. I think you pretty much summed it up, right? Like. You don't go there to look at a camera. You go there to, to hook up with people and learn about what they do and hopefully bring some knowledge home. Yeah. Although Chris, some of those camera rooms are super fun. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't not, mind bringing a camera home. I'm just saying, but... <laughs> I, I didn't... Uh, like, most years, I walk around a little bit. This year, I, I barely left, like, that 30-foot by 30-foot square... But it is it is usually kind of fun to go into the other halls because you know if you go like upstairs it's all like it's all like video cards and hard drives and if you go across the hallway and we're talking huge spaces like like arena size spaces and there's like four or six of them you go across the way and it's just a giant room full of cameras and camera rigs and full size studios people built to show off their cameras and in this in, in this in between hallway there's helicopters you can buy like not not drones <laughs> literal helicopters so that you can put your camera rigs on them it's like what like giant yeah. satellites it's just crazy to walk through some of those rooms and see like you know none of stuff we do would be being beamed anywhere if it wasn't playing on this hardware and going through these satellites so that's <laughs> thank you neat. satellite dish company yeah. no doubt I did. I walked over to the one booth that I wanted to go to, which was Black Magic, because they had a 
their booth is always just gorgeous and it's just huge and it's minimal and it's very pretty looking. And I went over there to check out what's going on with Fusion and unsolicited at our booth, I had at least five or six artists tell me that they were going to start to learn Fusion because of the free version and Nuke is so expensive, yada, yada. So I've been using Fusion forever. So I went over there to talk to those guys and they are, Black Magic is doing something really unique. They are building an entire ecosystem uh, that starts with their cameras and ends with the output through Resolve. And it's really cool to see a company owning both the hardware and the software side, kind of the way Apple used to kind of do, or I guess still does to a certain extent. But just to see them and and they're growing so much, dude. I mean, the size of their booth was probably the biggest in our hall, at least. I, I could say that with a certain amount of... Oh, yeah, I think their booth could eat any other two booths. They're enormous. Yeah, so they're doing really well, and I'm excited. I think Resolve is a cool product. I haven't actually checked it out, but I'm a huge Fusion fan, so it got me excited to hear that people were actually starting to look at that as opposed to forking over the 10 grand or whatever it is for Nuke. Um, so that was exciting for me to see that. But other than that, I didn't really get around much. Yeah, not too much. Yeah. Well, well I, I, think I think we wrap this yeah. one up then. Um, I'm sure we'll have other stories that we uh, remember after we get out of our uh, Vegas haze here. And um, uh, just one more big thanks from uh, from all of us at Grayscale Gorilla to all the customers, all the um, you know fans, the people that came up and said hi. Uh, that that really meant a lot and a lot of you brought us uh swag and and gear and beer and a whole bunch of other stuff it, it was just um really humbling to know that uh you know our that people are watching our stuff and learning and and in many cases you know building a career off of um learning from us and using our tools so that stuff is always amazing to um to hear and i just wanted to thank you guys for for coming up and saying hi it's it's um it's if you can imagine it's it's more fun for us to get the handshake than it might even be for you so thank you guys for coming up and saying hi it's really really cool um and uh chad if there's not anything else you could give us the uh the official wave yeah um again thanks everybody for tuning in it was a fun time uh as nick said i'm sure we'll remember other random stuff uh be sure to hit us up with any questions if there's anything that specifically you think we might have uh skipped over about nab hit us up in the comments and let us know maybe we'll try to capture it next time uh as always if you like what you're hearing give us the old like if you haven't subscribed you better do so now uh and give us a review on itunes we really appreciate uh your positive words or if you want to criticize the way i ate my lunch during this podcast go for it oh, but I'm sure I, was, I was i was hungry okay so i made sure i muted myself i'm good I'm going to go actually make a comment about that right now. You I somehow, I was so distracted. You didn't by, even like, notice me eating. I didn't even notice you it eating. Was a, my wife brought it in mid-show. Anyway, I was so, I'm so hungry. Um, anyway, uh, That's thank like that you. That's gorilla video. I totally no, I'm hungry. It. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, the podcast means a lot to us, and as we're finding out, it means a lot to you as well. So we're very happy about that. So we will see you next week on another Grayscale Gorilla podcast. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time.